Hi everybody, welcome back to the Investigating Ikiga podcast with myself, Joe Taylor. Today my guest is a good friend of mine and a fellow colleague in the Methodist Ministry of Southern Africa. He is currently serving in White River in Mpumalanga and we went to seminary together for three years from about 2017 to 2019. And Dave is a young minister who is passionate about social justice issues. I have personally been inspired by the way that Dave confronts um, difficult and often controversial topics on his social media platforms, specifically on his TikTok channel. Dave is busy with his master's degree in theology. And in this episode, we take a look at what his studies are all about, um, what he feels that his Ikiga is all about, um, and he, how this all links together with his faith, his theology, his understanding of the Bible. And so we really look at some deep, uh, perhaps controversial issues in this episode. We touch on things like decolonization, racism, white supremacy. We also have a look at what it means to interpret the Bible faithfully, responsibly, and we dig a little bit into biblical scholarship in this episode. So relax, grab your favorite warm drink, and enjoy the episode. Good day, Dave. Uh, welcome to the Investigating Ikiga podcast. Such a pleasure to have you here with us today. Yeah, it's great to be here. I'm glad to hear it said out loud as well. It's Ikigai. Is that the pronunciation? <laughs> I must say, I also, I learned the word by reading it. Um, and uh -huh. then I had to Google how to actually pronounce it. So. <laughs> but yeah, I thought I was going to butcher it at some point. So I apologize in advance. I probably will butcher it. But it's good to be here. I'm looking forward to chatting. Oh, thanks for joining that. us. Thank you. Um, yeah, so one of the reasons why I got you on the podcast is, um, I mean, we have known each other for a good few years now. We we went to seminary together. You are a fellow colleague in, in the Methodist ministry, um, a fellow minister. And yeah, I've always been fascinated and um, inspired by the way that you just seem to live your life openly and honestly, you know, with your heart on your sleeve. And, you know, you're not afraid to to speak your mind. So I'm hoping we will we'll dig a little bit into that today. Um, but as you you know, I introduced to you the, the purpose of this podcast to to dig into a little bit of people's life purposes, um, especially the obviously the ones that I have chosen to interview. So if you had to just, you know, however you want to sum up. Um, what is the, the thing that gets you up in the morning? What is the thing that, you know, inspires you to live your life in the way that you do? Thanks, Joe. Um, those, are, those are kind words. Um, and I'm very excited by the direction of the conversation because like you say, I do like to talk quite openly about things and get... I, I, I'm very fond, especially in Christian spaces, of kind of pulling away veneer. I like it when we can be just ourselves and perhaps a bit stuck in the mud, stuck in the mess. Uh, and I, I was really drawn to the conversation today. This idea of purpose has been something that has bothered me, I think, for a long while. Um, 
there was a stage, I think, in my life where I was driven by a very grandiose sense of purpose, an overly grandiose <laughs> sense of purpose. I had this vision of myself in the grandest scheme of what God was doing in, in the world that was that was quite, I would say, over-exaggerated. Um, and it was part of, I think, of just the ideal and the vision of being young. Like you mentioned, we've known each other for a while. When I first arrived at seminary, I was 18. Mm. And so my vision of what life and what my purpose in life was to be and what my purpose as a minister is meant to be as a person was supposed to be was was quite huge what i've seen now is that there's quite a dramatic shift in how i approach the notion of purpose um that often it appears in pockets in moments in little bits and pieces i i i sometimes think i actually in fact because it's so small sometimes i think i take it for granted um like most human beings i think there's some days where i can't even really think of something as abstract as purpose it's kind of just like if i need to get out of bed today and do something i'm just gonna get out and do it and do it um but at the same time there are these little pockets of burning things that continue to bother me and grab me and um, sort of draw me in uh whether it's something small on a given day like you know my dog needs to be fed and that's a genuine thing there are some days where just the the care and concern for my one partner out here in white river little caesar to make sure he's fed every day. It's like a huge drawing factor some days. It's like, I've got to get out of bed to make sure that he's okay. Yeah. And then other days, the the greater gift of what we get to do, I think does draw me in along with all of its its challenges. I, I think I don't really fit the perfect mold of what a minister is supposed to be. If we can put that in air quotes, you know, I don't know what a minister really is supposed yeah, to be. And that's probably why you're so asking, I think. It's just, it's, it's a bothersome question. And so I think I, when, when I do find those pockets of purpose, what tends to be the driving factor is I'm interested in open conversation. Mm. I'm interested in shaping how I see the world to be more accurate. I like being able to see things with, with greater clarity and to do what's, I think, good and right and loving and just as broad as those ideas are. They continue to sort of gnaw at me. Mm. Um, and so even on the days where it's, sort of really cruddy and I'm not really interested. Um, you know, those continue to sort of dig at me. Um, it is worth mentioning as well. I think when it comes to, to mental health, that tends to play quite a heavy role in terms of your understanding of your value and your purpose. Mm. And so part of this whole grandiose thing of when I was a bit younger was just that it was like a compensation for the fact that I felt pretty worthless and purposeless. And so there was like this push to try and build this more grandiose picture of who I was and what I cared about and, Maybe that way I would have this kind of sense of value within myself that was better sustained. Mm. And since sort of coming to terms a little bit more with the fact that I'm not always happy, I can be quite a morose, somber human being sometimes. Um, and just kind of coming to terms with the fact that the picture of God that I have now isn't one of, of a God who paints these very distinct, direct purposes, but meets us in the little pockets. I think that's been important for me. I know you've read some stuff from Rachel Held Evans. Yeah. One of the things I really like from her is she talks about like things like just having enough faith to be faithful. That's sometimes the, the, the core factor for me. It's just a little bit of purpose, enough to kind of draw me mm. back in again and to, to keep loving, to keep trying. Mm. I love the way that you, you explain that because I think you spoke to an important point that our purpose, you know, some people are lucky enough to perhaps have a singular purpose that drives their life um, but that's definitely not true for everyone and i know that at times i find my ikiga my my purpose it does 
change, you know, depending on what mm -hmm. life stage I'm in, where I find myself, who I'm interacting with. Um, so mm -hmm. I like the way you, you phrased it as it's, it's almost like this thing that burns inside of you at particular moments. You know, perhaps you mm -hmm. see something going on around you or you have a conversation and it sparks something inside you. I don't know if, if that um, resonates with what you were saying there. Mm, definitely, definitely. And, and the fact that it is just so contextual, the, mm. the, the shift from moment to moment, from place to place, from thing to thing. Mm. I think it's, it's part of the relinquishing of some measure of certainty that I think comes as, as I've grown with my faith. I think it comes as most people grow in their faith. Mm. Is that there comes a point where you can no longer cling to the sense of everything being distinct mm. and clear all the time. There's, where... there's mud and there's gray. Yeah. 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 No. So when did, about, did you notice that, um, shift starting to happen because i'm trying to think back to when i first met you uh it would have been mm. beginning of 2017 and uh, i can only speak on my behalf i i think i also had quite a I arrived at seminary with quite a close mind compared to the mm. way that i see things now and obviously the seminary yeah. journey had a a large part in me opening up my mind and um, mm -hmm. my research and my understanding of the Bible since then has, you know, grown and evolved and adapted. Um, I don't know if you had a similar experience during your time at seminary. Maybe you can just touch on some points along the way where, uh, that you, yeah, you were influenced by. Mm. So I think there's, there's a very distinct moment in my mind where things started to fall apart. If I can put it that way, the old me and the old way I saw things started to collapse on themselves. And it was around about, it wasn't 2017, and it was around about the time in our first year Bib Studs class, we were talking about like Moses maybe not existing. That for me was like, okay, no, we've crossed into the land of uncertainty. We've crossed, I don't know what boundary heresy. we are. I don't know what, yes, exactly. I don't know what heresy we're being taught here. I don't know what kind of mess these guys think they want to get us into. Um, and it was, it's amazing how painful the experience is at the time how traumatizing it almost mm. is because you feel really feels like the world inside of you and around you is collapsing and i had a phone call with my dad and i just remember speaking to him and saying surely he's wrong surely there, there must have been a very clear distinct moses figure and my dad was like well i don't know the text is complicated mm. and it seems to suggest all sorts of things um and then after that, since we've had a running joke about how Moses always describes himself as the most humble man to have ever lived. And it's like, you know, you kind of just get caught in the, it, on the other side of it sometimes. But it's, uh, I think it was around 2017 that the, the seeds of maybe I need to rethink things started to appear. And I don't think it was malicious. I think sometimes in these conversations, the idea of like perhaps a, you know, especially because the common conversation is around like deconstruction, mm. you know, and, you know, especially in a lot of Western space, people who deconstruct mm. from their faith. I don't know if it was, a malicious thing from the seminary or from anybody really it was just a sort of confrontation with the fact that the way you see the world is not congruent with reality mm. and so there's a need to kind of bring into conversation hey there's a whole bunch of stuff you believe that's kind of not really attached to history that doesn't really and so it progressed through seminary and then i think i really started to shift quite dramatically once i did my honors mm. that was the sort of year of, it's during COVID, during 2020 as I was kind of jumping through the last hoops to go into ministry, that was a really critical point as well. As I started to do my own research into stuff and I was exploring black theology was a really important influence. And the whole reason I even did that as well, one moment that wasn't theological, but that was really important for how I frame things now was when I went 
in 2018, the seminary gave me a chance to go to a liturgy writing conference with uh, the other leader of the worship team at the time. Um, and at this conference, we stayed with people who just lived in absolute destitution. Um, and I remember this lady gave up her home for me and Nontlantla to sleep in. Well, not Nontlantla, the other, there was another gentleman there who was with me. We were paired together. We slept together. Uh, and, and I mean, it did, like so a family who had absolutely nothing, giving up their space, their home, being up at four in the morning to go and get boiling water for us so that we could bathe with hot water from a, a plastic tub. Uh, I realized a lot of how I perceived God and life and faith needed to change because of that experience. Mm. So it then influenced the rest of the way I thought and now the, the research I'm doing today as well. Sure. Maybe you can just touch on that a little bit. So I was going to mention you, you've taken your studies further now and um you for your sins are doing a master's and i know you <laughs> coming uh bringing that to a close and, and you're writing a couple of your final chapters um but yeah maybe if you can just briefly say what exactly your your master's is is all about um yeah mm -hmm. and then i've got a question i'd like to ask you about that cool so yeah it's it's a so the, the sort of generative point for my master started with my honors. And in my honors, I, I remember I was dealing with this sort of internal strife around race and identity. It's one of the things that comes up quite a lot when you're in a, a seminary space like we were in, I think, because for the first time in my life, I was confronted by the fact that I formed part of a minority uh, in the South African space. And I was confronted by cultures and ways of thinking and ways of being that were so dramatically different to my own. Uh, I remember it actually caused a bit of like stirring within me and I was like, I don't really know how I fit into this picture. Um, and I would listen to the stories and experiences of people. And I thought, I think this should be influencing how I think and how I behave. I shouldn't behave like sometimes other white people have, especially throughout history, but especially also honing in into the present. You know, how are people navigating being white in the, the present South African context? And so my master's was then a chance to kind of expand what I did in my honors, where I started off looking at... Um, some of the engagement between critical whiteness studies and black theology. My master's has blown that really way wider than I expected it to go, unsurprisingly, because you just read so much more and do so much more. Um, and the core focus of it is trying to discover and understand what are the enduring legacies of things like apartheid and colonialism within the South African context, mm. and what do we do about them? That's kind of the, the core premises. Mm. And so it starts from the place of exploring what have South African black theologians said up to this point, starting in like the 60s and 70s with black consciousness, with the early black theology, the James Cones of the world as well, moving into the 1980s where the relationship between race and class is started to be explored quite uh, sort of expansively. Mm. And then in the 1990s, culture is brought in as well and the three start to weave together. Black theology and African theology start to intermingle a lot more. Eventually, you end up with this wonderfully beautiful and complex framework about human identity, about race identity, about what it means to be black, to be white. And then that's brought into conversation with some of the modern discourse about decolonial theory, about what it means for us to decolonize. It's a, a, a lot of bad faith discussion that exists around decolonizing. A lot of people think oh, it means we're going to remove infrastructure, or we're going to get rid of schools. And it aims more so to look at these, this idea of legacies. What are these enduring legacies that exist that are harmful and problematic? That, that deny people a sense of, of ontological density as the academic term. It's human dignity of the sense of being human. Uh, and how do we start to kind of rip those out of the, the systems, the structures, the world that we live in? Mm -hmm. And so the, the final chapter now is trying to sort of build a framework that can be used in academia to analyze theologies, doctrines, structures, systems, all sorts of discourses, and sort of try and tease out 
mm. where these legacies exist and then offer some tools about how you can critique, engage, subvert, that kind of thing. Sure. No, it's, it's all very interesting. It's such an important work. And one of the things that I've been thinking about as you were chatting about it earlier and, and now as well is we know that in different contexts, these conversations are um, quite understanding and different to other contexts. So, for example, in mm. the academic sphere, it's very easy to speak about these many of these terms that you are talking about. Um, mm. You know, colonization, um, white supremacy, uh, deconstruction, even all of these things. But mm. I take it in um, uh, maybe I'm presuming. Yeah, but um, it seems as though you find yourself uh, ministering in quite a conservative white context at the moment. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing your upbringing as well found yourself in a, a very similar context. So mm -hmm. these things that you are passionate about, you know, decolonization and um, all, all these things you, you've been chatting about, do you find that you are able to share these thoughts with um, people outside of those academic contexts? And how do you go about doing so? Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you have any little tricks to do that? Yeah, so it's it's been a perennially bothersome thing because I'm like, what's the point of all of this if it's just academic? Mm. On one hand, it's wonderful because it's such an easy escape from actually dealing with it to wax philosophical and write lots of pages. And then, you know, I get a nice, I'll get lots of people tell me, oh, are you thinking well about, well, I hope they'll tell me I think well about it. And then I'll have like a degree eventually that tells me I, I did well. Um, a couple of things that have been essential to me is for one to not demonize the people here as best as I can to sometimes vent in frustration over the fact that I don't understand their worldview, mm. but at the same time to treat human beings like human beings has been very critical for me, irrespective of how they view the world, even when they think of um, certain issues that I'm very passionate about in the most, I think, problematic mm. ways. Um, and then being willing to just prod to not dive straight into the deep end, to keep in mind that the people I'm dealing with here have been people who viewed the world like this for 60, 70, 80 years. Mm -hmm. um, and then to just be strategic about when you introduce certain topics and how you introduce certain topics. So I start sometimes from the pulpit and start prodding in certain directions. Um, one of the things I've spoken about uh, more recently was the fact that the Bible has inconsistencies, incoherence sometimes. It suggests things that are ugly and I don't think depictive of, of the divine. Um, and so like Jeremiah 18 was one of the lectionary readings a couple of weeks ago. And it seems to suggest that God does evil against those who are evil. That leaves us in a very problematic spot. And so starting with the sermon, I just prod people to start noticing the cracks notice that there's some inconsistencies notice that the things are not as clear as we want them to be that place of a little bit of uncertainty not harmful uncertainty to throw people into just flux where they can't think or function but just prod them towards that place where okay maybe everything's not as clear as i thought it was and maybe this offers a different way of thinking and seeing things and just opening people's minds so that there are variations in opinion and then when there's space for conversation then sometimes we dive a little more in the deep end. So I've got a group of grannies who I love dearly, you know, who know I speak about them very often because I, we dive in the deep end sometimes mm. in some of the conversations because the prodding leads us there. And so they then start to ask questions themselves and then I start to introduce my opinions. I also, what I try to do in those kinds of spaces is not to just impose as well. It would be very nice 
if everybody just saw the world the way I did, well, maybe not very nice. But for me, in the moment, I'm thinking it would be really great if you all just agreed with me. But I try to present a variety of opinions on a subject and to problematize as much as I can as the conversation goes on. And from there, I find oftentimes people end up then arriving at places where we can have complex conversation. And one of the things I really care about that's in my dissertation as well is the idea of pluriversality, that people have variations in opinion and we can bring those together. We don't need to be necessarily homogenous the same in how we read and understand some of this stuff. We can have differences of opinion, but let's bring them together. Let's be able to build really structured, strong foundations mm. for our beliefs and the way we see the world so that we don't end up causing harm and putting forward harm without realizing that we're doing it so that's how i've tried and then also sometimes i've tried with some of the tiktok stuff that i've done but yeah that's more or less ineffective i think sometimes i'm not sure i have, <laughs> I have mixed feelings about the, the online space mm. no and i, I definitely want to come around and, and touch on that because uh, that's also been fascinating to to follow along as well is your journey in, in social media and the way that you've used that to share your views and encourage conversation. But as you said, we all know the online space sometimes gets lost in translation. But um, yeah, so we, we will touch on that. Um, but I, I do appreciate mm -hmm. what you're saying about offering different opinions and um, prodding almost encouraging conversation in a respectable way, even if, you know, mm. opinions differ. Um, I've mm. always thought, you know, if someone comes to me and uh, tries to force me to believe as, as they do, I'm going to push back at that, you know. So it's not about mm. forcing people to see things one way or another. It's about um, mm. opening up people's understanding to at least see different sides of a, an issue or a topic and then learn how to converse about that in a respectable way. So I really mm. like the way that you, you shared that and, and you do it through your preaching and that. So obviously we, we've mentioned, I mean, that you, you are a, a minister in, in the Methodist church, even though you might say that you aren't the typical uh, expectation of a minister. But again, it depends, I think, on, on who you're asking. Um, but obviously then you have um, a faith journey of your own of where you started mm. and and where you are now um how would you say your faith has influenced your um journey to where you are and how you see the world now do you think it, it has linked at all um yeah or perhaps your your purpose and your changing understanding of the world has now influenced your faith as well maybe mm. you could share a bit about that if you feel comfortable to sure so I, this is one of the things I've also shared quite openly with my congregation is that faith and doubt have been kind of two sides of the same coin for me, which is not uncommon. Um, but I, I think part of the whole prodding of conversation has been being transparent with myself. So if people want to reject my opinion purely on that basis, that's okay, but I'm not going to be inauthentic about it. Um, like I mentioned, when I was younger, there was this absolute certainty in the journey. And then that kind of got fractured in 2017 um and it kind of just continued to evolve and change shape and then i think at this point where i've arrived at um there's a lot of things that i've kind of become okay relinquishing and just either not understanding or no longer really standing for i'm i'm someone who embraces being in the space of gray um 
and I'm okay with being in the space of gray. There's this one particular movement it's within theology, but it kind of subverts the whole thing of just being super academic about theology. It's called anatheism. And within anatheism, there's this kind of shift to relinquish doctrinal and dogmatic and belief certainty in pursuit of a sort of more poetic, mystic, open type faith. Um, there's a, a man within anatheism, he was one of the sort of progenitors, the sort of founding fathers, if you want to call it that, of the, the movement. He has this quote that I'll read. Um, it might make some well, people of faith very uncomfortable, but it, I think it captures the beauty of, of the process I've been through. Uh, he openly says, I don't know if I believe in God, but I know I'm a builder of altars. I build my altars with poetry and music. The altars must be beautiful. I build them before a deep, dark and silent abyss. The fires I light in them illuminate my face and they warm me. Yet the abyss remains the same, cold, dark and silent. And so I think what faith has become for me is, in one hand, that Rachel Held Evans idea of just enough faith to be faithful. Uh, I don't have grandiose faith. I have faith that is the size of a mustard seed. Um, and it has become a kind of faith that's open to existing in the uncertainty. There are some days where I get up and I think it's a, all a bit of a farce. Um, there are other days where I feel a bit more confident. Uh, I can also see as well, like I mentioned, because of where my faith is at, my conception of God and the divine, even the word God sometimes feels a bit difficult even to say, because mm. it feels like it carries so much baggage that I can't relate to anymore. Um, but I've kind of allowed myself to reach the place where I connect in some kind of sense with this grander mystery that unites us together and draws us to higher things than ourselves, that draws us to love, that draws us to model. And I think Jesus's life is a, is a helpful, authentic model. Um, but whether or not there's exact certainty around certain doctrines and exact orders of events and if someone wants me to tell them with certainty that there is a heaven and a hell and heaven is like this and hell is like this, I'm not the person who can offer that. Mm. Uh, I love that. And I, I resonate so much. And you mentioned uh, Rachel Held Evans. I think she's been a, a influence on both of our journeys. And one of the things that she always used to say when she uh, started preaching um, straight after she reads the, the scripture reading, she would say on the days that I believe this to be true, um, so mm. it's, it's just a, a real honest, um, straight up front on the way that she saw, uh, you know, the, the biblical texts and her faith and her beliefs. Uh, and I love what you said about having just, uh, uh, what was it? Having just enough faith to yes, just enough faith to be faithful. To be faithful. Um, that's mm. a beautiful, I'm going to bank that one for the future as well. And then, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, go for it. No, after you. <laughs> so I, I was going <laughs> to, it's going to move us along. Um, we, we spoke about how faith, our faith journey often links us to our, our life purpose. Uh, and I found that mm -hmm. the more that I have uh, fallen in love with scripture, but um, not in the traditional sense, perhaps of, you know, this, this infallible text that, you know, never, uh, presents any any wrong or any differing opinions, but more in the sense that it's this rich, mysterious um, text that invites us in to dig deeper and and you know take seriously, not necessarily literally. Uh, and the more I've dug into that, the more my 
my personal purpose towards uh, the vulnerable and the oppressed and serving that community has, has come to fruition. But before I get off track, the, the other thing that I've noticed often influences people's um, purpose in, in life is their specific things that have happened to them, but more specifically negative things that have happened to them. You know, often someone will experience a wound um, or they will suffer in some way and they will realize that they are perhaps the right person to respond to similar wounds like that in the world. Or perhaps even they notice something in the world that is crying out for attention. Um, so I don't know if you've noticed personally in your journey, um, if you've experienced any wounds or experienced any suffering in the world that has influenced your call into addressing these issues that we've spoken about. Hmm. Yeah, so I think that, like I mentioned earlier, that loss of certainty is very painful yeah. at the start. And I think the sense of kind of being ad adrift was something that captivated me. And so that's part of what I think draws me into my ikigai, the purposeful things that I am drawn towards these days is that I, I want to facilitate space as best as I can for people who struggle still with that wound, which I think each each person who ends up in this murky gray has days where they wake up and it's just painful. It's just hard. Um, the other side is like I mentioned, my mental health has been pretty uh, rocky throughout my life. I think um, because I tend to be a bit of like a serious and I like to think and I like to get lost in long patterns of thought that can sometimes become quite self-destructive. And I didn't have the necessary tools to break those really when I was a teenager. And so I had patches where I've had patches throughout my young adulthood and my early teens where I, I was not early teens, later teens, where I was, I think suicidality started to creep its way in. Um, and so you, you start to wonder is, is life even worth living and is the, the burden of just being here worth bearing? Um, because it feels like there's no real avenue to navigate out of just being stuck in your own head. Um, and so that's also played a role. I think that's been a, it's an enduring, one of the things that Wesley says is what, that the preacher sets himself on fire and invites people to watch them burn. I think that's one of the fires that has burned the longest on me that burns my skin and is incredibly painful, but is probably one of my greatest gifts to people is that because it's been messy internally when I'm honest about that, it invites other people to be honest too. Um, and then you mentioned as well, the, the experience of, the oppressed and the marginalized that first moment encountering just the depth of poverty in our country yeah. really really bothered me and probably one of the most bothering things that still drives me now is that that i think that's a wound that needs to also just stay open needs to continuously flow um because the second you kind of become callous or closed off to that it's very easy to just exist as if none of it matters and it's been so hard for me in ministry because you're so often caught up in so much it's very hard to hone in on getting into those kinds of really critical spaces to do something. Yeah. Um, and so that I think has been, those are the kind of three driving ones that loss of certainty, enduringly poor mental health, but it's better now. I think I've gotten better at managing my mental health, but just being someone who knows what it's like to struggle with that and to have pretty sincere slumps every couple of months. Yeah. Um, and then the experience of, of life and ministry of trying to do what's meaningful and seeing things not really work and, allowing that not to collapse you, but to kind of drive you to say, well, I've got to try again. Then. Mm. Uh, I, I can't give up. If the people are still hungry, if the people are still homeless, then there's, there's still work to be done kind of thing. 
Sure, that's very profound. And what you said about it being a journey uh, is so important as well, because, you know, along the journey, there's going to be ups and downs. Um, but as we learn to to live with, you know, our personal struggles and even the Apostle Paul talks about, you know, the thorn in his flesh um, mm. and the way that, you know, we, we grow around it and we, we do develop. It doesn't mean we're going to be void of any struggles in the future. But mm. one of the ways that you or that I've seen you open up the conversation uh, that you, you seem to love doing and, you know, raising awareness about uh, difficult, perhaps seeing, seen, sometimes seen as controversial topics um, is, as we mentioned, through your social media platforms. And I wanted to spend a little bit of time chatting to you about um, your TikTok channel that you, you started because I was fascinated by it when, when, I, when I first encountered it and I love following along. But I also know that in those spaces, um, it's easy for people to, you know, come across these things, uh, even that they might disagree with and basically say anything that they want without any sort of accountability. And then you are faced with the, the gist of that. So maybe you can just start off by telling us, um, you know, what, what is your TikTok channel all about, uh, your page? And uh, yeah, what exactly do you aim to accomplish with it? Maybe when you started it, how has it perhaps changed? Um, yeah. Mm. So when it first started, I, I've, it's a horribly, it can be a horribly egotistical thing. Let me phrase it that way, because I would hear people say things and I would see online engagement in Christian spaces and think this is horrendously underthought. Mm. That this is just kind of, people just continue to share out and propagate the same narratives over and over and over again that have got problems and cracks and issues that I felt like it was important to try and address in some way. And I started to feel increasingly frustrated um, because as well within the church space, you can't be as direct sometimes. Sometimes I wish I could just say things as outright as, as, as I want to in a sermon, but that's not helpful. It doesn't lead to structured building up of people and doesn't slowly break down prejudice and bias. It just beats people over the head with a stick. And so I thought, Maybe I can build some kind of online platform and I didn't really concern myself with numbers of who it would reach or how it would be engaged with. Um, I was just like, maybe like 20 or 30 people will engage with this, this page to kind of think a little bit differently about their faith and to be open to processing things through different lenses, seeing the world a little different. And that was the whole, the first video was literally just about that. What if Christians could start to think of a differently about their faith. And then I started going, okay, what are the things that I want to talk about? What are the gaps that I think are really important to dive into a little bit? How can we unpack some controversial sometimes conversations and how can we start to at least prod in directions of offering difference of opinion? Because that's the other thing is that us, you know, when there's a very one-sided narrative in a particular space, having someone coherently explain another side is helpful. When you can hear the two sides clearly, you can hear what drives the two sides and then you can decide for yourself where you want to end up. And so I, I started there just going, let's, let's see what will happen. Let's talk about the things that matter to me and let's see where it evolves. Um, and as time has progressed, it has proven to be a very interesting double-edged sword. On one hand, it is a wonderful liberating space to just in three minutes hash off something that really has been sitting in my head. Mm. 
Um, and I look back at some of them and I'm like, I really could have phrased that better. I could have done this better. That's not as clear as I hoped it would be. It's by no means a perfect explanation of any of the things I put forward, but I've enjoyed doing it. Hmm. Um, at the same time, it has been incredibly taxing because there are some of the videos, the video that I did on whether or not it's a sin to be gay got a few thousand views and had like a few hundred comments. Hmm. And I went through all the comments, engaging with people, probing in the comments, asking questions of their questions. Hmm. Um, and I was foolish because I engaged with bad faith arguments. There are people mm. who arrive just to tell you you're wrong without ever listening. Mm. And that was something I started to realize about a lot of online discourses that people don't really want to have their minds open to things. There isn't really interest in having open conversation to move towards truth. There's more interest in just being able to identify with whoever kind of like reinforces my opinion already. And so the polarization that we see in society generally, where we have like distinct camps of conservative and liberal, black and white, poor and rich mm. that kind of exists in the same way online but with the, the added benefit of you don't know who i am so i'll sit, i'll speak my mind very straightforwardly to you yeah. um and so it's it's been a real it's been exciting it's been interesting i've enjoyed doing some of the reading and research as well to build some of the arguments that i did and some of the tiktoks i've written um and it's fed its way into my usual ministry as well i don't hide the tiktoks from my congregation so they're more than welcome to engage with them i publicize them to them as well mm. um but it has come with the the burden then of, of sometimes getting quite a lot of vitriol. Um, and then also just wondering, is it actually meaningful? Is it contributing to people thinking differently um, and making people feel heard as well? There's been a few moments where people have commented and said, thank you. I'm a, for example, I'm a queer Christian and this is meaningful for me. It made me feel a little bit more noticed. And so that sort of double edged side of it has been a, an interesting journey. An interesting journey. Yeah, no, I, I can imagine. And, and, I totally relate to that and <clears throat> like you mentioned near the end there that what does make it worth it um, for me at least is when you do get those occasional comments of someone who has been too afraid to ask the questions themselves you know because they have been uh, they've grown up being told that no 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 there's only one way to read the bible mm -hmm. interpret this verse uh, and this is the only correct way and just mm. hearing the the feedback that you know thank you i've been struggling with this myself but i wasn't sure if i was allowed to is just a, an affirmation and if I, I can affirm your work as well um i've seen it from the outside and i know the the kind of pushback that we can get especially in christian spaces unfortunately mm. um mm. but I, I really have seen the the good fruit from that and if I can maybe just, mm -hmm. you know, ask you to briefly, you, you said it has that double-edged sword and, and the negative side of it, you know, um, there's a whole lot of research that has gone into this, this new online world. And like mm -hmm. you said, not being knowing a person or being able to see their face, people feel freer to just attack someone's character rather than, you know, confront yeah. the argument that they are presenting. So how have you personally dealt with the negative side of things? Um, I think poorly <laughs> most of the time, if I'm honest. Yeah. I think one of the things I have to kind of remind myself every once in a while is that I'm, I'm 24. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out who I am and my place in the world at the same time as helping to direct and lead other people, yeah. whether I want to recognize it or not. I get up on a Sunday and have a captive audience of people who listen to what I say about the Bible and about God, about life, about faith. Mm. When someone dies, I'm the first one there, you know, in the area for, for the Methodist people. So mm. 
uh, when it comes to the TikTok page and dealing with the negativity of it and seeing comments sometimes of people like, not a real Christian, mm -hmm. you know, heretic, wasting time. And then I had, I've had a few people who are hate followers. So every video, the first comments are always these chains of people who just lambasting me as a fake, as a fraud, as yeah. a hypocrite, as someone who's just interested in causing harm. Um, one thing I've had to learn how to do that I struggle to do as well, just because in White River, there's not a lot of young people. So I'm a bit isolated and a bit more mm -hmm. online than I should be as I just try to stay off. Um, and I also kind of, I've gotten a lot better at filtering what's a good faith engagement, what's a bad faith engagement. Has this person actually listened to what I said and internalized some of it and is now responding to a point? Or are they just making arbitrary character accusations when they don't know me from a bar of soap? Mm. Um, and they don't know the journey I've been on. They don't know my experience of faith, that kind of thing. So I, I tried to hold the two in a little bit of tension of just kind of saying, okay, for one, sometimes just be off of it. Mm. One of my friends said to me, the the day you post it, stay off of the app then for the next 24 hours. I think that was a good helpful pointer, 24 hours of just not engaging with it. Um, and then the other is kind of learning to filter a little bit better what comments are actually people trying to engage, which is also, you know, I'm, I'm happy. I had a couple of engagements and comments where people have engaged and just we've agreed to disagree. Mm. And that's okay. At least we were able to have some kind of back and forth discussion about it and then realize that our points of departure around certain things just won't shift. Yeah. There's some people who are just like, nope, the Bible's infallible. That's it. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I've, I've kind of embraced going, okay, sometimes people will just disagree. Mm. So it's okay. For sure. So, okay, cool. And I think as long as, you know, like we mentioned, it's done in a loving, respectable manner, the conversation that takes yeah. place, even a debate, you know, debates and these things are personal to a lot of people so they can get fiery mm. but they can still be mm. fiery while being uh, respectful i think that's the mm. main thing um and then last one on this what made you choose uh tiktok uh do you post on other uh, channels other platforms as well or have you found tiktok to be the most engaging or appropriate for for the context you're going for you know the the thing that drew me about tiktok was for one, just the size of the platform, the fact that it's the most prominent platform at the moment. And so I thought if there's the chance to reach a slightly bigger audience at any point, uh, not that I'm ever going to have the time or energy to invest in building really like a sizable TikTok page. I mean, the strategy around that is to post two or three TikToks a day. I'm not, I don't got the energy and resources. I'm lucky if I get one out every month yeah. uh, or once every two weeks. Um, but I think it was the fact that it's also that it's bite-sized. So you can drop a nugget of something for someone to, to stir with a bit and then they can move on with their day. It doesn't have to be, I can sit and do like 10, 15 minute YouTube videos, but attention span is shrinking. And so rather, how can I get the essence of what I think is meaningful in this conversation across to someone? And then if they want to talk to somebody else, they've got like one talking point or two talking points, or most of the time, three talking points that they can kind of work with and hear somebody else's thoughts on. That was kind of the drive, I think, with TikTok. It's just it was the most prolific and it gave the chance to get little bite-sized pieces of information. I have posted as well. I post them to Facebook sometimes. I thought of maybe doing it to YouTube as well because there been a couple of people who have suggested I do it to YouTube as well. Um, so in the future, if there's an easy way for me to streamline it that it just uploads to all of them at once, there probably is a way to do that. I'm too technologically illiterate to figure it out right now. But I, I might then do a little bit of a YouTube type thing and then maybe do some long-form content after that if, if the space presents itself. Awesome. Yeah, I love the idea that you can give, you know, bite-sized snippets of topics that obviously need a lot and a lot of 
a lot and a lot of time to dig into properly. Mm -hmm. um, but like mm -hmm. you say, then you could always expand on it in other ways or at least start, mm -hmm. start the conversation and then take it further yeah. if people really do want to engage. Mm. Awesome. No, thanks, Dave. And so we've spoken quite a bit, you know, along the way um, through this conversation about some of the negative things uh, in the world, in our country in specific, that have spurred you on to, you know, pursue certain things. Um, and often, you know, you wake up uh, at least with a, a hope of addressing some of these issues and these negatives in the world. Um, mm -hmm. But just as we draw this time to a close, um, I want to ask you perhaps as you look forward to the future, um, you know, what is one thing that does give you hope? Um, mm -hmm. Whether it's a response to some of the negativity and the dread and all of that, but what is something that gives you hope for the future? And perhaps also what is something that gives you joy uh, right now? Mm. So it's interesting when you suggested some of the ideas of talking about one of the things that really struck me with hope and has been bothering me about hope the last couple of months without drawing it into a negative space, but just with the, the, the I think the invitation of the conversation we've been having is to deal with how sometimes these things are complex. Um, is that the, there was a place where I presented an academic article or a, a conference called the Theological Society of Southern Africa. They did a conference earlier this year. And one of the core discussion points was hope. What does hope look like for us as South Africans today? And how, one of the things that was a huge problem is how do we make sure that hope doesn't silence people? How do we make sure that hope doesn't become the factor that stops people from being able to go, this is actually a problem and that we need to get rid of hope and start having some kind of action? Because our country has experienced, I think probably is in some sense like hope fatigue. There's always these moments where things should go well and then they fall off the tracks in 1990, Mandela is released and then the third force comes out, you know, and there's violence within black communities. And so one of the things that for me has been an enduring sense of a hope that isn't silencing is the fact that everything's still kind of here. Mm. The world has not yet collapsed, that we have another day. Mm. So today I'm having this conversation. M my hope is that tomorrow when I get up, there will still be a world that exists. There will still be spaces for me to engage in, mm. you know, and then one day this conversation will be up for other people to listen to and engage with that kind of sense of things that the story isn't actually over yet mm. as catastrophic as it feels sometimes we're still here and that means that it's not yet entirely over we can't maybe change absolutely everything but we can at least start nudging it some way mm. can't fix every problem but maybe i can prod you know that that i think is what what has been giving me good hope and, and then in terms of joy i started running with a bit of earnest again recently i've got a, a running coach to just absolutely ruin me. And she's been giving me, it's been such a joy. I went for a run today and it was for the first time in quite a while where it was a hard run, but yes, I felt, I felt like really alive while doing it. And so it was just a good reminder that as miserable and hard as things sometimes feel, there these pockets and moments where in the midst of feeling just exhausted and drained, there is this life. And so that, that, that for me has been a gift. Sure. No, that's so important. And yeah, I keep at it um, because yeah, I keep, finding those pockets of joy in the midst of it. Mm. And yeah, I love what you said about hope. And even just having the opportunity of addressing evils in the world is, is a hopeful thing, you know, and we each mm. have a, a part, 
an opportunity to be a part of that so yeah mm. dave thank you so much for for sharing um it, it really has been super inspirational for me and i have no doubt that anyone listening in as well will hopefully be able to take what you've said um you know out into their own lives as well and, and live it out there if um if people would like to follow you further or get in touch with you after this um yeah how could they do so maybe start with your your tiktok page they can follow you there and then yeah how else could they follow you or get in touch with you sure just to mention as well i'm, I'm super grateful for the space i think spaces like these really matter it's awesome that you've taken the initiative it's clearly really interestingly thought out and i think it's going to make space for really awesome conversations and great listening so thank you to you as well Thanks. um in terms of the TikTok, if you're interested in seeing my TikToks, my uh, profile is Rev David Elliot, and it's spelled Elliot is spelled E L L I O T T, so R E V D A V I D E L L I O T T. That's on TikTok. If you're interested in more of a conversation, my Instagram is open. So if you want to follow and drop me a DM, you can. My Instagram is D underscore Elliot, and then it's spelled E L L I O T T again one. So it's D underscore E-L-L-I-O-T-T-1. And then you can get in touch that way. Great. Oh, thanks so much, Dave. I really appreciate your time once again uh, and the conversation. And just to, you know, a real, I can see you, you prodding each of us listening as well to open up the conversation and expand our, our view and the conversation a bit. So, yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate it, Joe. It's been great, man. Thank you.